Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. On today's episode, we examine the conclusion of the prosecution's case against the three defendants. We will hear excerpts from and or summaries of the testimonies of six witnesses, including four agents from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. That's all coming up after the break. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. On November 15, 2021, Prosecutor Larissa Olivier calls Carol Flowers to the stand. I want to turn your attention to a person by the name of Ahmad Arbery. Did you know that person? Yes. Okay. Can you tell us how you knew him? He was my neighbor. Okay. Are we talking like next door neighbor? Yes. Right okay. next door. Right next door. Okay. Do you remember when you first met him? Mm, late 2011, early 2012. Okay. If you can look at that and just tell me if you recognize it. Yes. The image of Ahmaud Arbery that is presented pictures him as a young man wearing a baseball cap and a bright and gentle smile. Okay, who's that depicted in the picture? Quiz. Okay. And you say Quiz. Is that what you knew him as? Yes. And is it a fair and accurate depiction of, of Mr. Arbery? Yes. Okay. After the prosecution hands over the witness, the defense asks for a brief recess before beginning cross-examination. During the recess, the defense argues that some audible sobbing that the jury may have heard from a member of the gallery should be grounds for a mistrial. Judge Timothy Walmsley denies the motions, and after the jury returns, Jason Sheffield, defense attorney for Travis McMichael, uses this opportunity to show Ms. Flowers two different, more recent images of Mr. Arbery. I think you were shown a picture of Mr. Arbery um, from around the time of 2012. I'm not sure when the picture was taken. Oh, okay. All right. I want to show you a couple of the pictures and just ask you if you recognize the person in these images. Do you recognize the person? Yes. And who do you recognize that to be? Quiz. And are those fair and accurate depictions of him? Do those fairly and accurately show who he is? Yes. Okay. These photos depict Mr. Arbery without a smile. He appears to be uncomfortable in these photos, particularly in comparison to the photo presented by the prosecutor. The defense, it seems, is using these images to present to the jury what they will argue is the more menacing image that more accurately depicts who Ahmaud Arbery was on the day he was killed. Given that the defense is prohibited from offering any evidence regarding Mr. Arbery's character or mental health, this appears to be their effort to use imagery to do just that. The prosecution also calls Kelly Parr to the stand. Parr, whose parents live in the Satilla Shores neighborhood, is asked by Prosecutor Donikowski about a phone conversation she had with her father as the events that led to Ahmad Arbery's death transpired. 
Now, on that particular day of February 23rd, 2020, were you talking to your dad on the phone? Yes, I was talking to him on the phone, and he was telling me about what he was seeing out the window. And during the conversation, he said, oh, my God, there's a hole in the window. It's cracked. And so he kind of was shocked and then hung up and said, I'll call you back. After recounting that experience, Parr is then guided by Dunikowski to tell the story of her only encounter with Mr. Arbery. Do you recall ever seeing um, a young man at the construction site that's on the way to your parents' house? Yes, I I do recall that. I'm not exactly sure when it was, um, if it was maybe December or January. I'm not really sure exactly when it was, but I do remember driving by and I believe it was a Sunday, as usual, uh, afternoon. It was still light outside. And I looked over and I saw someone in the, the door frame. There wasn't a door there. Uh, and he was just standing in the door frame. And we just kind of looked at each other as I drove by. And was this young man white, black, Asian, or Hispanic? He was a black man. He was very tall. From what I remember, he had like, uh, I guess there were like basketball shorts on and I, I believe high top sneakers and a t-shirt and yeah he just looked he looked very tall I remember thinking that because of the uh, the door frame where the location of it over his head I remember having a dialogue in my head should I tell you about that like just what I thought I, I thought I was driving by and I thought what is he doing in there and then I thought no Kelly don't be racist he's probably working on the house and then I thought well no he doesn't have a tool belt on so I wonder what he's doing there, you know, just the whole thing. So we were just looking at each other and I wasn't really sure. And I just, you know, kept driving. So, but that was like a split second thought process in my head, like one or two seconds. So, yeah. Did Um, he try and duck inside? No, no, just, just looking. Did he run away? No. Mm -mm. Just stood there. Just stood there. On cross-examination, Travis McMichael's attorney, Bob Rubin, seeks to reframe Parr's encounter with Mr. Harbury. During the times that you were there in Satilla Shores at their house, walking around the neighborhood, would it be fair to say that you never saw Ahmaud Arbery jogging in the neighborhood? I don't believe so, no, I don't think so. And when you were interviewed by, um, I believe it was agents, Hamilton and Carnes back in May, if you had seen Mr. Arbery prior to February 23rd, you would have told him. Well, I did see him. I, you know, I think it was him in the house, but I didn't. I, yeah, right. I would have said. You would have said, I saw him jogging. Right, exactly. Yeah. So the one time that you did see him mm-hmm. happened to be this one time in late December and January mm-hmm. in the afternoon. Right. Right. And you saw a man standing in the door frame without the door mm-hmm. at 220 Satilla Drive. Right. No tool belt. No. Nope. No reason you could discern from looking at him why he would be in an empty house. Right. Uh, that was under construction. Right. I guess so. Yeah. Okay. In fact, it. you checked yourself, but it mm-hmm. did cross your mind. Of, yeah. Why is this guy in that house? Right. Right. On a... Was it a it was, weekend? I think it was a Sunday, Sunday so afternoon. that's why I was kind of questioning it. Right. Yeah. And then you checked yourself and, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to make sure no you weren't deal. stereotyping. or doing Exactly, it. exactly. Got it. 
The prosecution also calls Georgia Bureau of Investigation agent Brian Smith and GBI crime scene specialist Jessica Hamilton as witnesses. Smith created the drone footage that the prosecution uses to help the jury with the geography of the Satilla Shores neighborhood. He contextualizes and authenticates that video for the jury, and Hamilton authenticates the collection and transportation of evidence in the case from the various sources of that evidence to the GBI lab. The state also calls GBI special agent Lawrence Kelly to the stand. Kelly testifies to having sent various phone data and videos, including the video of Travis McMichael shooting Ahmaud Arbery, to the lab for analysis and enhancement. As the video of the shooting plays, Kelly then relays to the jury the nature of these enhancements, the lightening of shadows, the stabilization of video, the creation of frame-by-frame still frames, and slow motion. Prosecutor Donikowski then asks the agent about rumors on social media that Ahmaud Arbery was carrying a weapon as he ran through the Satilla Shores neighborhood. Did you attempt to determine if Mr. Arbery could be seen running with a stick or a hammer? I did. All right, tell the jury what you did. I viewed the video, I viewed the half-speed videos. Um, We also had all of the still-framed images that I mentioned earlier. Uh, I believe there were nearly 2,000 of them, and we picked the ones from the requisite area um, and reviewed them one by one. And what were you able to determine as far as Mr. Arbery running with a stick? It doesn't appear that there's anything in Mr. Arbery's hand at any point while he's running. On cross-examination, both Jason Sheffield, representing Travis McMichael, and Franklin Hogue, representing Greg McMichael, independently asked Kelly questions aimed at dispelling any assumption that either of the McMichaels and William Bryan conspired to catch Ahmaud Arbery. For efficiency, we will just play Sheffield's questioning. So one of the questions that um, I'm having you answer today is on the idea of communication between Roddy Bryan and Travis McMichael on February 23rd. And so you were asked to look at cell records, right? Yes, sir. Okay. And looking at the cell phone number of Travis McMichael, meaning any phone calls that he may have made from that cell phone on that day, right? I did. You did. And looking at Roddy Bryan's cell phone to look at any cell phone calls he may have made on that day, February 23rd, right? Yes, sir. So in terms of the on the subject of whether Travis McMichael and Roddy Bryan were on the phone with each other at any point during the 23rd, the answer is a resounding no. That is correct. I I found no evidence of communication. That's right. Agent Kelly likewise confirms for Franklin Hogue that there had been no communication between Bryan and Greg McMichael. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The final witness called by the state is the same witness with whom we started our coverage of these proceedings, GBI Assistant Special Agent in Charge, Richard Dial. We spent the first five episodes of this season covering Agent Dial's testimony at the probable cause hearing that culminated in the order that the defendants stand trial for Mr. Arbery's murder. 
However, while Agent Dial's narrative in that hearing was comprehensive and dramatic, his role in this trial is of a completely different nature. At trial, Agent Dial's purpose for the prosecution appears to be to authenticate evidence and testify as to the process by which that evidence was collected. Under questioning from Prosecutor Dunikowski, Dial claims responsibility for determining that there was probable cause to order the arrests of Travis and Greg McMichael. Moving forward to May 7th of 2020, did you take out arrest warrants for Greg and Travis McMichael? I did, yes ma'am. All right. Why didn't you take out arrest warrants for Mr. Bryan? We were still in the process of gathering information involving Mr. Bryan's um, actions that day. After recounting the collection of evidence in the case, including the inexplicably favorable treatment of the McMichaels and William Bryan by the Glynn County Police, Agent Dial first guides the jury through the drone footage shot by Agent Smith that sought to trace the routes taken by Mr. Arbery on February 23, 2020, and then through William Bryan's video recording from February 23. You will now hear the audio of the final moments of that video, including the gunshots fired by Travis McMichael that killed Ahmad Arbery. And what are we looking at right here? Those are the mailboxes I was referencing in the drone video when we first came from the intersection of Satilla Drive and Burford. I pointed out the mailboxes, that's them. After a few more questions aimed at emphasizing for the jury how little evidence the defendants had to make the assumptions that they made about Mr. Arbery, Prosecutor Donikowski passes the witness to the defense. Kevin Goff questions Agent Dial on behalf of his client, William Roddy Bryan. Goff's intention appears to be to assert that Agent Dial has been looking at his client's actions in the wrong light. Rather than aggressively chasing Mr. Arbery, Goff's questions seemed to imply that Brian was merely serving as a witness of Mr. Arbery's actions. This line of questioning leads to sometimes tense, sometimes confusing exchanges between Goff and Dial. But once Dial understands what Goff is suggesting, he responds directly. If he would have turned and went down Zellwood, hypothetically, would that mean he'd given up the chase? Yes. But he didn't. He turned and went back towards Mr. Arbery. Well, we know he turned around. Yes, sir. And we at do. that point, he's videoing, <coughs> videoing the path that he's on. Am I correct? Yes, sir. It's the best, clearest quality video we have on this occasion. It's the only one. Uh, of the shooting you're talking yeah. about? Yes, sir. Okay. Consistent. And that would be consistent with someone who at this point in time is simply trying to observe the events. No, I wouldn't say that, sir. No, sir. It wouldn't be consistent with Mr. Bryan trying to be a witness to whatever is about to happen? Sir, I don't believe he was just a witness in what happened. So, whether, Well, I'm not asking you what you believe. Well, you asked me if it would be consistent, so the answer is yes. no, because he wasn't a witness, therefore videotaping. I don't understand your question. Okay. If Mr. Bryan, having abandoned the pursuit of Mr. Arbery, had decided he wanted to record what was happening, and he turns around to do that, the video, the last part of that video, is consistent with that. It would be consistent with that or consistent with the fact that he was still pursuing Mr. Aubrey, trying to uh, box him in between two different vehicles. And a jury will have to decide what Mr. Bryan's intentions were at that time, am I correct? I, I, my understanding is that's their role, yes, sir. Certainly not your role or mine. That's correct. 
Okay. So when Mr. Arbery, instead of going to the right to go out of the neighborhood, turns left and towards Mr. McMichael, then Mr. Bryan pivots his camera the other direction. Again, my interpretation is he's trying to keep the camera on Mr. Arbery, but trying to operate a vehicle, it's drifting around quite a bit. That's my interpretation. All right. And we can agree we'll let the jury decide what Mr. Bryan's intentions were. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, sir. I have no further questions. You've been great. With that, the state of Georgia rests its case against the defendants. And that brings to a close our examination of the prosecution's case against Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan. Join us on our next episode as we present an examination of Kevin Goff's opening statement on behalf of William Bryan, which he elected to deliver after the state rested. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty the killing of Ahmad Arbery.